I'm Yamilka Rodriguez, and this is the Brand Therapist Podcast, where we come together and deep dive into the psychology of branding. We live in a new era that asks us to step up and show our individuality, learn what makes us unique and different in this world. Let's open the door to possibilities so you can win in business, life, and relationships, because everything starts with you. Welcome to the Brand Therapist Podcast. I am so excited to have my friend, HB. HB has been a coach his whole life and is obsessed with helping people succeed, especially in the advisory professional field. He has been a coach, a creative, a professional communicator for close to four decades. You have many books, which I'm so excited to get some leadership guides, facilitated thousands of people leadership development retreats, and has produced over 7 million song streams Mm -hmm. on Spotify. We got to talk about that a little bit as well. And he's uh, very fond of deflecting attention from his accomplishments by saying, my real claim to fame is that I have failed at many ventures than most will ever attempt and took many notes. So we'll talk about that as well. So you are an author, speaker, and coach. You have founded works in tech, financial services, charitable organizations, and in the arts, and has also preceded art-focused Christian nonprofit that for over two decades served the marginalized. Your DNA, I love the word DNA, by the way, is a start of things. However, it may be lifelong work with very talented people that has uniquely equipped you with a professional advisor. It was in the school of hard knocks where you gleaned your best wisdom in helping others. Refreshingly, HB openly speaks for his own failures in some of the greatest learning moments. Those are the best. Mm -hmm. And business coach and growth advocate for business leaders, especially wisdom brokers. So your coaching practice is focused on financial advisors and it's called the Ideal Client Experience. And I'm really, really excited. So tell me, what is the Ideal Client Experience and how do you serve your clients? That's very complimentary. Thanks again for inviting me on your show. I'm excited about spending time with anybody who refers to themselves as a brand therapist. Ideal client experience. I really didn't use this phrase until I had gotten into the financial services industry myself. Now, I didn't start in financial services. I spent over three decades in communicating and nonprofit work and producing music. I was in the ministry. So it was late in life. It was after 50. I made this crazy career change kind of against my will, actually. It it actually falls into the category of great life failures the way I felt about it. I ended up in the financial services industry, and quickly what was happening is all those years that I spent engaging leadership, booking concerts, being on stages around the world, I began to realize that it was so connected to the financial services industry because we were all trying to serve lifetime clients or lifetime relationships. These weren't selling a package of gum over a counter in 30 seconds. This was months or years of relationship development. 
So as I began to dig into that, I realized, you know, the most important thing that I see in all financial services industry people, all the advisors that I knew, all the planners, is that they had to learn how to grow their business by turning their best clients into their best advocates. Because they were spending so much time chasing strangers. Yes. Um, and it just drove me nutballs. It was like they were always throwing a net over the side of their boat. They would catch as many fish as they could without discrimination and try to keep three or four and gracefully throw everybody else back in the lake. I love that metaphor. Isn't that funny? So you and I, we, this is why we, you and I connect really easily because we talk about the same stuff. So my, my thought was, well, what if we could create a machine that literally attracted the right size fish to our boat? And we spent almost no time throwing bad ones overboard, which is a graceless situation anyway. And we could just spend a lot more time with the people that we're really magic and suited for and perfectly created to serve. And that's how I started developing this program that I call the Ideal Client Experience. The amount of energy it takes to win new clients is multiples, multiples higher than the amount of energy it takes to maintain and keep present clients. I have that in one of my presentations. Awesome. Because I, I, the fatter the number, honest to God, I just believe it. It's like changing hairstylist. Even if you get a bad haircut, it's so painful to change. All the person has to say is, I'm sorry, we're going to do better next time. And you're staying. We want to build relationships that we feel like we have partnership and connectivity. And one of the keys in the Ideal Client Experience Program is building a sense of reciprocity or, let's say, a mutually generous relationship along the way. I love how you said that. So tell me a childhood story that inspired what you do today. I really appreciate you doing that. You and I, were so similar. We do the exact same things. And since I practice this on my clients, I have to be good at it myself, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> my exactly. very first job, which I wasn't even old enough to drive to, by the way, I lived in a small town, Millbrook, Alabama. I had to drive to Prattville to the YMCA because I got my life-saving certification and I was gonna be a lifeguard. This is so exciting for me. You know, I want to be the sexy guy who sits in the lifeguard chair and spins a whistle on his finger, has the cool sunglasses. And I did. I don't know if I was sexy or not, but I definitely sat in the chair. What I didn't expect that summer was that I also had to participate in and lead out in swimming lessons in that Red Cross program. So I had kids of all different ages in the pool all morning at swimming lessons. Now, remember, this is an odd moment for me because I'm the kid who failed beginner swimming lessons four times. I panicked as a little kid, and I don't know why. I still looking back, I don't know why, but I know I brought shame on my family because <laughs> I was the kid who just freaked out and cried. I couldn't get it. My dad was a lifeguard for crying out loud. He was a strong swimmer, but I freaked out at swimming lessons. So somehow or another, I get through this panic, I blow through the Red Cross program. I get certified. I'm in the pool as a swimming instructor. And you know what I realized? Helping kids through that moment when they are in the deep end and they don't know what to do, their feelings are overwhelming. I realized that I had become very good. I had collected a set of skills based on empathy that I was an excellent swimming lesson coach. And I actually loved helping those kids through those little trauma moments more than I even liked sitting in the chair and baking as a lifeguard. Mm. So I bring that sense of helping people through their challenges because I've been there and I felt the pain and loss and failure and uh-oh and panic. 
So when I bring that to today, I apply that in my work with financial advisors, people in the advisory profession, because they too, even though they're geniuses, sometimes end up in the deep end of running a business because leading a team, staying focused on your value proposition and being a healthy, happy person is bigger than just being a subject matter expert. And so that's how I sort of pull that forward and apply that to my work even now. I love it. So if I asked you, what is your brand all about? What would you say? I would say it's about helping people who are in the benevolent and I think just spiritually significant work of coaching other people in their success. You know, advisors are curious, and I've been an advisor, a coach personality my whole life. You know, my story started there, and I could even go back further. But those of us who've been designed to get our joy from helping others have unique mental problems. So I think my entire practice is around helping those kinds of people understand that you are uh, unique and in need of partnership. You're worthy of coaches' time, and you should not be overlooked in this process. And so I I love leading leaders in the space. And that's what I'm all about. So if I asked you to tell me, you know, you were talking about your fame. If I asked you to tell me your fame story, what would that be? I really want to be remembered as a coach. Like this is the guy who helped me become the best version of myself. I had a very long three-decade career in a space that's different than the one I'm in now. And I did achieve a lot of success as a public presenter, a performer, a musician, a producer. There were moments in there where I thought, oh, this is it. You know, not only have I done it, I've done it for decades. This is not a short run career on the stage as a musician or a speaker or a presenter. And I thought that was going to be it. That I would just drift into the heavens from that <laughs> career being the guru and veteran of my space. When that came to a slow end due to several factors maybe some within my control and some without, I had to reboot. And that reboot at 50 is a hard life moment. And I had to sort out, well, what is the equity that I have gained over the years? What is the true treasure that still sits inside of me just needing a redeployment? How do I do that? And it's this conversation, this feeling that I feel like I was built in a lab to think about what other people are challenged with and try to help them through it. I love that. And I kind of can feel your archetype already in my veins because that word keeps coming up. So the help word, but we'll talk about that in another time. Now, let me ask you, what is your greatest fear then? Oh, okay. So this is where I get to become more personal than people are expecting. Well, here's the problem. I feel like every grace, every gift has a bright side and a dark side. It's like the moon. There's a bright, beautiful side. There's a dark side that we don't want to see, but they're connected. They're not really disconnected. So the bright side is that I genuinely love and get great joy out of helping people. The dark side is I often need to be more important than I should be. I feel bad if I'm not important to you. Now that's narcissistic. It's egotistical. It's horribly selfish. It's very self-serving. It creates very awkward, codependent, weirdo relationships especially if people are coming to you saying, I need you, I need you because you're the authority in a field. Yeah. That can feed the dark side of your ego and create this weird codependence where I need to be awesome for you. That is a weakness. Some people call this the fear of man, this idea that if people don't approve you, that you're in trouble emotionally. 
Right. And I think I'm aware that in the bottom rivers of my journey, there's this opportunity to fall into that hole as I go along. And I have to be very careful to check motivations and actions and my own sense of peace and process with every, especially if I'm coaching, this is where it really hits me, right? It's in my strength that this nasty little weakness tries to come out and get me. And I even tell my clients this because I figure they should know it's part of vulnerability. Like, hey, I may be amazing, but here's my little dark side you need to know about. I think they find it weird that I tell them, but I do. (laughs) You know, I I love that. First of all, you're being so forthright. And second, you're aware of it, right? I think that's just the first thing is to know that, you know, I have a friend actually, and she says, well, I can't go and eat all that sugar because I'm going to be eating sugar a lot from that moment. So she's aware that sugar is a trigger for her and that if she starts it, it becomes then a sort of addiction to it. Yeah, boy, it doesn't take much. I don't know how she discovered her awareness, but the way I became aware of this isn't because I became enlightened by crossing my legs and thinking about it. People told me that I was an egotistical, selfish narcissist, and they didn't tell me once. I heard it over seasons, and it was from people that I was desperately trying to be useful for. And this was a hard blow to the forehead that I, it took me a long time to sort out what was happening, that it wasn't them, it was me. Yeah. And that I was going to have to adjust the way that I was going about things and the way that I was processing. So, you know, that's why I say <laughs> I learned most of my leadership lessons in the school of hard knocks because I've been a pioneer my whole life. I believe that I really have started and failed at more things than most people have tried. And that makes you an amazing coach, right? <laughs> well, if you've been able to pause and deal with the suffering, I think this is essential. I was talking with a colleague yesterday about this, that I I tend to look for people of maturity who are also okay with their vulnerabilities. That is, if they walk with a limp, Emilka, I feel like I can trust them a little better because they're not perfect. When I find people that just present themselves as perfect in every way, even if I go to their website and they present themselves like the second coming of Christ as a business coach, I'm already just out. I just, I don't even know how to deal with it because I don't trust people that are perfect. We thank our sponsor, BespokeBranding.io. Tailored branding to reach your ideal client. Gain a deeper level of understanding to empower your brand and purpose and rule the market. We know what it's like to journey from a place of feeling overwhelmed and undervalued to being powerful, understood, and authentic. Your brand identity allows you to live your purpose. The Brand Therapist has 20 years of branding and design experience, has transformed billion dollar brands, and has eight plus years of guiding women entrepreneurs to realize their potential. I invite you to take the brand quiz and you can find it at www.bespokebranding.io. Right now, I'm getting ready to do my own book. I've done collaborative books, three, and I'm doing my own book, and I'm really excited. But That's very, it's hard too, isn't it? It's hard. But what I'll say, you know, is the lesson in which you just spoke about was 
when I got the first editorial comments from the publisher, they suggested I should have a full publishing development and it was going to take four months and all this stuff. And I looked at their comments and I was like, no, this is like perfection. This is not what I'm looking for. And how can they advise me on something that I'm the expert at? Right. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I said, no, I'm not doing this. So I, um, I went with another editor and, and I asked her, do you feel like I need development work on this? I trusted her because she gave me some really good feedback on the first round. And she's like, to be honest, no, but you need to fix this, this. And she gave me a whole list of things I had to fix. And Mm -hmm. I was like, great, that I can do. Fix that. And this is not the book that needs to be perfection, right? Let me take the 80 for the 20, even the 70 for (laughs) for the 30. Like, (laughs) I'm okay with that. I think that's fair. I know exactly what you're suffering with. And having this long career in publishing, I'm aware that there's always two things going on. It's a balancing act. So instead of making it about art or publishing, we just say, look, if you want to have a good conversation with someone who's new, then you need to do two things. The first thing is you need to show up with a smile and greet them and at least offer a warm handshake. You've got to do the sort of initial thing that at least is attractive so that they will stop for a moment and at least have a conversation. The second thing is you better have something really amazing to do and to deliver in that conversation. And in our world, it means we better be able to ask really important questions about them, Mm. right? But they don't let you ask questions if you don't show up with a smile and a handshake. It's got to be at both ends. So even when you and I are producing our books or the conversations or even this video and podcast that you're developing, we want our audience to feel immediately engaged and cared for. Uh, We care for the people that we're talking to and that we're aware that are listening to our conversation. So that's good. We have to be nice, play well with others, and be properly lit in our video. But secondly, we better have something of substance that people can actually go, okay, that was important. I want to listen to that again. And if you cover those two things, I think the rest of it, to your point, is just frivolous details. It doesn't have to be just unbelievably perfect because people need they need those two things, that balancing attraction and content, you know, that goes in there. So, well, I mean, what is the title of your new book? Brand Therapist. (laughs) Perfect, perfect, perfect. I'm so glad that we talked because I was so attracted to that when you used it in your language as we were getting to know each other. Uh, I thought, okay, I I immediately get what's going on here. And everybody running a business feels like occasionally they need to get on the brand therapy couch. So that is perfect. I love it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because a friend of mine said, oh, well, you're a brand therapist. And I'm like, what? (laughs) is Is that a good thing or a bad thing? After a while, I was like, you know, that's not such a bad thing. And I threw it out there one day and people were like, we love it. So I decided to stay with it. So I do feel like I'm a brand therapist because like you, you yourself, you know, it's important for me to take care of my clients and make them feel like they're doing the right thing, most of all, and that they just need to shift a few things. And it's not about changing them or making them different or having them create a brand new identity. It's more about them being aware of theirs. That's true. And we're not always aware of things. That's why we need coaches. You know, if you and I could plug our industry a little bit, it's not that coaches are smarter than you. It's that they always look at a thing from a different perspective. Sometimes problems just can't be solved by running at it the same way you've run at it for the last two years. 
And sometimes the value in hiring a coach isn't that they somehow bring magic wisdom to you. It's that they look at the same problem from a different angle and go, wait a minute, what about this way? And you see something new, you process the challenge from a totally different perspective. You bring your uniqueness because of your story. You've heard a little bit of my story. I'm deeply trying to work from the empathy position because we care so much for our clients. Have we really taken a moment to go get in their shoes? So that's probably the primary grace that I bring to my financial advisor clients to begin with is, are you building a business based on your expertise or are you building a business based on your client's primary needs? Those are two different things. Exactly. And not until people start to understand that is their business really going to excel because the business is about your clients because if not, you wouldn't have business. (laughs) That's what I say. Yes, this is true. Now, if you don't mind, the name of my book is Never Drop the Ball Again. And the reason I named it that was because of the sense that if we have lifetime clients, we've all felt the pain of losing someone that we thought were connected and faithful, loyal clients that we were doing great work with. I don't know anybody who's been in the advisory business more than five years who hasn't lost a significant client. And here's the kicker. They often didn't know why they lost them. Like I lost a girlfriend once in college because after our first date, we came back in from the first date. Well, I say girlfriend. This was a potential girlfriend. She was super just fine. She was from South America. I thought this is it. We came back from our first date. Some people came out of the dorm room to meet us. And when I turned to introduce her, Yamilka, I, I am not kidding. I forgot her name. Uh, yes. I blinked. I did that thing where I blinked so completely out. It's happened to me. I, I, I don't know what happened. I just went, uh, I just literally stalled out. She had to tell him her name herself. That was the end of our relationship. Most relationships get the, maybe the, it's not you, it's me conversation. Yeah. But. Some relationships end like this, the slow fade. They just slowly disappear. And I think so many of our clients slowly disappear and we don't know what happened in our relational process. So here's what I think has to happen. I think that client care and client experience needs to be put into a playbook. So it's not a feeling. You don't just give it to somebody on your team who's the empathetic person or God, for God's sakes, it's not the person with the gifts of hospitality. That's not what we're talking about. I've put, uh, basically client care into an eight-step process from the very first time you meet them through discovery, through design, through delivery, through the affinity, all the way through advocacy stage. I didn't name them all, just them. I got it close. So that your team can literally think about taking care of clients step by step. So even if your team is a bunch of nerds who don't really consider themselves super touchy-feely, they still have this thing that says, okay, during this phase of the client relationship, we have to do these three things and they can just do them. Exactly. So so the idea of the playbook, I don't know if I've shown you the cover. I'm going to throw it up on my screen, but this is the book and the little URL. Neverdroptheballagain.com is a place you can just drop in, grab some quick info on the book. It's available in audiobook and Kindle. And this is a little hardback book, by the way. It's only 100 pages long. So those of you who are too busy and fear reading, (laughs) (laughs) it's almost like a children's book in length and feel because I figured... The allegory and the big ideas were more important than every single execution detail. So it's a kickoff conversation. I love that. So tell me, three lessons learned with your clients. One, um, slow down. I love to deliver wisdom. Sometimes I get too excited and I will uh, 
move too fast in a conversation and I keep learning to slow down. The second thing I would have to say is with clients, and I didn't just learn this from theory, but I, I keep learning it over and over again, that everything I think I'm going to say as a coach, I need to convert it into a question because the client doesn't really remember what you say anyway. They remember how you made them feel. And if you ask a question, the feeling of taking control or being a participant or being in charge goes back to the client. And it's very important in my profession to keep doing that. The third thing I would say, and this is just a small, it just came to my mind, it's very practical and tactical for me. I start every meeting with every client simply asking them what they've been up to in the few hours prior to the meeting. How did it go this morning with the family? You know, how was your commute? Have you gotten any conversations? How are you feeling? I found that people need a little time to debrief from their own journey before they're ready to dive into a conversational journey with me on something that's important. And that little transition moment, I just keep proving over and over again, if I skip it, I'm not quite in rhythm with the client. So those are the first three things that came to mind. Uh, Well, the first three things are usually the most important things. So whatever comes to mind, right, that you said, oh, this came to mind. Let's talk about this. So let me ask you, 10 years from now, where do you see yourself? I mean, I know you didn't see yourself where you are today uh, a few years ago. So tell me, where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? Yeah, in 10 years from now, I can see them in my mind where... Uh, enjoying time around conference tables together. We're enjoying time also around the fire. We may or may not have a cigar and brown juice. You're from Kentucky, so I can say that. (laughs) And we're enjoying both recreation, life, and family together. I'm going to be serving as a coach for a team of coaches in 10 years. I love my clients. Don't get me wrong. And I don't want financial advisors to feel like they're not completely enthralling to me because they absolutely are. It's just that in 10 years, I would like to have assembled a team of coaches who, like me, are deeply empathetic, really care for the advancement of others, and probably specialize with people that are more in the advisory and long-term client realm. Mm. And I'd like us to all enjoy the idea of being growth advocates together. This is the sort of the designation term that I use for the way I feel about my profession. Maybe it's because I'm artsy-fartsy, but coach didn't quite do it. An advisor sometimes doesn't land right. And I'm definitely not a consultant because I don't, I don't just come in and fix things. So I adopted this growth advocate phrase. I would like to have a team of growth advocates of five to 10. I don't need a hundred growth advocates because I, I want to actually go out and go fishing and go on adventures with my colleagues. Uh, but five to 10 growth advocates that I would love to be serving them every day so that they can be successful in their own coaching and advocacy uh, professions. That's where I want to be, which means this year I'm developing everything I can to create systems and tools and platform opportunities so that some of my friends who are closest to me now might consider doing some work with me this year. I'd, have, mm-hmm. I'd like to have one or two coaches doing part-time work with me as a growth advocate so that we can test our team concepts and test our team philosophy and frankly, so that I can help some other people succeed as uh, professional business and leadership coaches. That's my long-term goal. I'm 50, I'm, yeah, I'm 56. So you got to imagine, I'll, I'm going to be functional and helping people my whole life, but I can only help so many. And I know that my energy is going to want to focus by the time I'm in my mid-60s on those who are even more like me so that I can just bring the genius that I've collected 
and just try to dispense and be an encouragement to as few as possible with as much meaning as possible. I love it. So tell me, where can people find you who are listening? This will be on the notes too, but I'd love for you to tell us where you are and where we can find you. Thank you so much. So idealclientexperience.com is the location of my practice. So if somebody said, well, what does HB do and how does he help financial advisors? They would go to idealclientexperience.com. This little workbook just sort of signifies the fact that I've put a lot of my equipping and training for financial advisors and the advisory of professionals into a workbook. We don't work through it linearly, but I have collected a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of videos, a lot of worksheets, a lot of practical execution manual stuff uh, for them. HBPasley.com exists in the world, by the way, if somebody just wanted to go, that guy's weird. I'm not a financial advisor. I don't care. But I'd like to find out a little bit more about his career. HBPasley.com exists as well. And so I appreciate, by the way, being so generous and allowing me to introduce those things to human beings. I'm sure there's somebody out there in your audience who probably found today's conversation specifically rewarding. And that's my favorite. Oh, I'm sure. You probably decided this, too. You can tell from my future goals that I had my run at trying to be famous for everyone or do something for everyone. And I've just decided that personally, I would just like to be famous for a few. And I can be generally known by the many. But I used to have that formula flipped around and I couldn't sustain it. I love the way you talked about legacy fame. And I think I'm going to take that as a note and ask that question because legacy fame is about the focus and the understanding of exactly who you're helping. And I think when we go so broad, we get lost the noise of the ethers. And so I think focus and understanding that individual, because let me just tell you this, I'm consulting with a client right now, they're accountants, they have a big firm. And it's so funny, he was telling me about this CPA accounting firm that just targets real estate. Hmm. And I was like, what? Hmm. Who is that? I want to know more about that. And he has actually people that he has to put on a wait list because he can't take them. Isn't that amazing? And isn't it the opposite? I I talk, look, financial advisors all the time, they get this feeling that if they don't have a door open to every angle of the universe, that they won't be successful because they'll be turning clients away. It's this generalist myth. I have to be generally great at everything. It's a myth. It's totally, by the way, you can be generally good at everything and you'll have a general career and you'll be generally successful and have a general salary. If if that's what you want, that's what you should keep doing. But if you're going to hang out with Yamaka or if you're going to hang out with me, we're going to start pushing down to find what is that magic thing that really makes you stick out, that brings you so much joy that it actually energizes people around you because that is a higher value add. You will make more money, you will be more famous, and you will be more happy in the future, but it's only for the courageous. This is not for everyone. Yes. You and I have to plow through those who are satisfied with being a generalist and find the people that want to specialize and really have breakout success. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) So I um, so appreciate you. I'm so happy we connected and that you had you on the show. I'm very, very grateful for you, HB, and I wish you all the best. And um, we'll definitely reach out in the future and see where you're at and what you're doing with your growth advocate. 
I love it. And I'm, I want to be there and celebrate and bang pom-poms together when you release your new book. So we're going to stay connected. So I know when that's going to happen. And uh, maybe I will be able to interview you one day on my video channel to learn more about how branding could help financial advisors and those in the advisory. Yes. I and it's so can. Thank you very much. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Brand Therapist. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. If you would like to connect on social, you can find me at Yamoka Rodriguez Branding or BespokeBranding.io. And if you would like to do the brand character quiz, go to BespokeBranding.io and click on Brand Quiz. Or you can email me at yamilka at yamilka.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.